I'll, uh, I'll be honest, I'm feeling a little bit vulnerable this morning. Um, I've had some interesting comments about my hair, <laughs> some laughter. Um, I've been compared to Jamie Oliver by Lucas. Somebody asked me if it had shrunk in the wash. Um, and Brian just asked whether the sermon was going to be hair-raising, so <laughs> thanks for the encouraging words this morning, guys. Our new ident for the series this morning was uh, designed by James Wood. Thank you, James, for your efforts in arranging Lego people. Anyone that spends their time playing with Lego is all right in my books. Okay, let's pray. Father God, I pray that uh, as we come around your word this morning that we hear from you. Father, I pray you would take away anything of myself but just leave your words. Father, I pray that you would challenge us where we need to be challenged and Father, you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Okay. So, last week Steve kicked us off on our new series, People of Purpose, and that's what we're carrying on with this morning. Uh, What is our purpose in life? What are we here for? A few weeks ago... Um, my four-year-old daughter um, was handing us Tic Tacs that she was pretending was medicine and saying, here, take this, you'll feel better. Um, and after encouraging her, obviously, not to play with medicine, we said, Amelie, do you want to be a doctor when you grow up? And she said, no, no, I want to be a doctor and a ninja warrior. <laughs> Amazing. I don't know what degree she'll need for that. But this morning we're talking more about... not just about sort of our jobs and who we are kind of in the world, but what is our purpose? As Steve would say, what is our raison d'etre? What is our reason for being? And as Christians, we believe that we're more than a cosmic accident. We believe that we're more than just a, a random alignment of particles. We believe that we are created creatures, created with purpose, created with intent by God and for God. And last week, um, Steve explored the idea that man's chief end is to glorify God by enjoying him forever, which he took from the the Westminster Shorter Cataclysm. I actually don't know what that is. But the quote is brilliant. What does it mean? It all starts when we've found God, but how does knowing God help us to be a people of purpose? Well, one of the things we do know about God is that he is a relational God. We know that when Jesus was on earth, he referred to God as Father, Abba. And he did this many, many times. Father, forgive them. Our Father who art in heaven. Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. And God referred to Jesus as his son. He said, this is my son who I'm well pleased with. Listen to him. And before Jesus returned to heaven, he told the disciples that he would send the Holy Spirit from his Father to help the believers. And this is where we get our idea of a triune God, a God who is three in one. This morning we we were singing the song, weren't we? I believe in God the Father, I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, that our God is three in one. And God has always been this way, you know, from the start of time. John writes that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and then a little bit later on the Word became flesh. Jesus entered into history. And in the story of creation we read that the Spirit was hovering over the waters. The Spirit was there at the start. 
And the word hovering in the creation story is the same word that we use for um, a, a mother bird hovering over its young. And later when Jesus was being baptized at the start of his ministry, the spirit was sent like a bird. And you see all through history that God has always existed as three in one. He is a relational being. Constantly existing in harmony. But how does this help us understand our purpose? Well, we're also told in the creation story that we are created in God's image. And you know, God created all things. and He created plants and animals and earth and sea and sky and wind and Netflix and all of that. And then he created man. And all of it, he said, it is good. It is good. It is good. And then he said, it is not good for man to be alone. We too were created to be relational beings. No man is an island. You might have heard that phrase. It's not good to refer to women as islands either. Something I've learnt. Free advice. And Jesus came to earth and died that we might be free from sin and death. Yes, but he also died to bring us into a relationship with God. But more than that, he died to bring us into a relationship with each other. And it's God's desire that we become a part of his family. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, that God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. It says this is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. God delights in us being in relationship with him and being in relationship with each other. This is a part of our created purpose. We are meant to be a part of God's family. And last week we looked at um, a quote from Rick Warren which states that our purpose is to bring people to Jesus and membership in his family, to develop them to Christ-like maturity, to equip them for ministry in his church and mission in the world in order to magnify his name. So this morning I just want to spend a few minutes looking at what it means to be a member of God's family. What does it mean to be a member? I was a member of a, a few clubs growing up. Uh, I was a paid-up member of the Dennis the Menace fan club, for which you uh, got a, a, a Nasher badge and a, a membership card. I was a member of the Lego fan club. James, are you a member of the Lego fan club? Yeah, good. Um, and believe it or not, I'm actually a member of a local leisure centre. <laughs> That's so hurtful. First is the hair. I, I don't think I've used the facilities this year, but... I have paid them a lot of money. <laughs> but becoming a member of something is not actually that difficult, is it? It's normally something to sign, an amount of money to pay, and then your membership card arrives in the post. But that's not really the biblical version of membership, and that's not really what we're talking about this morning. If you sort of look at the etymology of the word membership, it has nothing really to do with belonging to clubs or groups and so much more to do with belonging to the body, the physical human body. We all have different bits of us, fingers and toes and hands and feet, and they're all members of our body. And that's where the word comes from. And interestingly, that's exactly Paul's take on membership. Throughout his letters, he refers to God's family as the body of Christ. 
and says that each of us represents a different part of that body. So I just want us to look this morning at a couple of passages from Paul's letters and see what we can learn about being a member of this body and how we find our purpose in it. Um, We're going to start by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you have Bibles or iPads or iPhones or other generic software, um, find 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I will put it on the screen as well. And we're going to read from verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles or slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If we were all one part, where would we be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honourable are treated with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together giving great honour to the parts that lacked it. So there should be no division in the body, but its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. We'll just pause there. So Paul goes in quite heavy with this um, body metaphor. He likes to labour his metaphors. What he's really doing is describing the church. He's describing the gathered believers, the followers of Jesus. And he starts off this passage by mentioning the diversity that should be found in the body of Christ. He talks about Jews and Gentiles and slave and free. And one has to do with sort of social standing, Jews and Gentiles, and another has to do with economic standing, to do with your wealth, slave or free. Either you have money or you don't. And really what he's saying is that the things that define you in this world, your wealth, your job, your neighbourhood, your social standing, have no bearing whatsoever on your inclusion in the body of Christ. It doesn't matter if you are a Dr Ninja warrior or whether you're unemployed. Here we are all the same and we all have a role to play. And sometimes we can feel that our usefulness is limited by our means and experience. I don't belong in the church, I've got nothing to offer. I'm not like them, why should I be here? Often we uh, can feel you know, that, that we just don't belong. Why would they want me? And Paul is saying that it's nonsense. Diversity is not just encouraged, but it's absolutely necessary. He's saying that if you don't belong to the church, if you don't belong to the body of believers, then it will not work as well as it could do if you did belong. 
He's saying it's going to limp instead of run. The way he phrases it, he said, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And if we were all one part, where would the body be? So we're all needed here. Every one of you has a purpose within the body of Christ. And we're much richer and much better because of it. Okay. So what does this passage teach us about our purpose? Firstly, in order to discover our purpose, we need to be connected to other believers. Paul is saying that we all have a specific purpose to play within the body of Christ. Part of the function of the church is to help you discover what your gifting is and then give you the opportunity to use it for the benefit of others. And Paul uses the analogy of a body so that we can understand that in order for the body to be in its best health, each member needs to perform its individual function well. It's no good an ear claiming to be an eye or a foot trying to be a nose. Imagine the smells. Rick Warren puts it this way. He says, The church is a body, not a building. An organism, not an organisation. So our purpose then is to discover which body part we are. What function has God called you to perform in his church? And that brings us on to our second reading this morning, which is in uh, Romans 12. I'm going to read from verse 4. And here Paul starts talking about the body again, but then he goes on to offer some practical roles that we can play in the church. So verse 4 says, For just as each of us has one body with many members... And these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. And if it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do so diligently. And if it is to show mercy... Do it cheerfully. (coughs) So here Paul offers some ways in which we can function within the body of Christ. And there's two categories he uses here. The speaking gifts and the serving gifts. And this is, by the way, no means an exhaustive list. If you want to get into sort of the different roles that exist within the church, then then I'd encourage you to read Paul's letters because he offers many different lists. But it's just some useful things for us to think about this morning. Uh, The speaking gifts are prophesying, teaching and encouraging. So he's saying one of your purposes within the church might be to prophesy, which is speaking under divine inspiration, hearing from God and communicating it to others. And Paul sort of caveats this a little bit by saying that we should prophesy in accordance with our faith, which I guess in our sort of Western reading we would think that that means according to how much faith that we have. But actually, a better translation from the Greek is that we should prophesy in agreement with the faith. So what we're saying should not contradict our Christian belief. But it's an important gift, and if used rightly, it can benefit the whole church. And I would just encourage you this morning that if you feel that God has given you something to say, then please come and share it with the leaders so that we can benefit everyone through it. And if you're praying with someone this morning or through the week, why not just ask God to give you a word for them? It's a brave thing to do. But it might be that you have the gift of prophecy. And if you're not sure about what's being said to you, it's okay to say, you know, I don't know if this is me or God, but I feel like God wants to say this to you. And this is something that we can practice in the church. 
The other thing he says that our purpose is, it might be to teach. And this is so much more than just giving sermons. Uh, I remember very little from most sermons. My attention span is quite short, as I'm sure some of yours is as well. But some of the best lessons that I've had through my life have been from conversations with folk that are older and wiser than me, of which there are many. Um, people who are willing to impart their wisdom. Mentoring is a form of teaching. There are many different ways that we can teach each other within the body. And the third purpose he mentions is encouragement, which again could have a whole uh, variety of, of reasons wrapped around it. It could be uh, being encouraging. It could be coming alongside someone. It could be mourning with someone. It could be supporting them. It might be giving them financial support, giving them space in your home, showing them hospitality. A little bit later on in this passage, Paul talks that we should practice hospitality. Encouragement is such a necessary part of the body of Christ. It's so needed here. I was, there's, a, there's a chap in the, uh, the book of Acts that I was reminded of recently um, called Barnabas. In fact, his actual name was uh, Joseph. Barnabas was a nickname that he was given um, by the apostles. And he was given the nickname because Barnabas, Barnabas means son of encouragement. What a brilliant nickname to have. Much better than Moaning Myrtle or Debbie Downer. What did he do? Why was he given... Not you, Debbie, sorry. (laughs) Wherever you are. (laughs) It's just an expression, honestly. Debbie Delightful, that's what I should say. (laughs) What did he do to get the nickname Barnabas? Well, in Acts 4 we read that he sold a piece of land and he put the money at the apostles' feet. He just supported the work of the apostles with some cash. Then a little bit later on we read in Acts 9 that he um, befriended Paul... And this was the, the time where, where Paul had just finished um, going after the Christians, dragging them off to jail and um, killing them. And he'd ha- had a change of heart. He'd met Jesus on the Damascus Road and he'd decided that Jesus was real and he'd started preaching about Jesus and he decided the best thing to do was to return to Jerusalem, to the apostles and to, to join with them in spreading the word about Jesus. But they rejected him. They were scared of him. They wanted nothing to do with him because of his past And Barnabas was the one that came alongside and said, no, you can listen to this guy because he's changed. I've I've seen his preaching. He's different now. And I just wonder, I mean, Paul, if you don't know, is the guy that wrote most of our New Testament. I wonder if that had been the case had there not been somebody in the body of believers that had encouraged Paul. You know, while there are people amongst us this morning that with a little bit of encouragement could do amazing things. So necessary for the body. And then Paul talks a bit about serving gifts as well. And when he's talking about serving, again, he's talking about a whole wide variety of ministries. There's so many different ways that we can serve within the body. You know, it might be cutting grass, it might be preparing a Bible study, it might be pouring tea and coffee, heading up a prayer ministry, visiting people in prison, it might be visiting the sick, it might be coming alongside someone. There are reams and reams and reams of ways that we can do this. And you know, we often say in this church that the the greatest you can become in the kingdom of God is a servant. And we don't just sort of say that lightly and that's not something we've, we've made up. Those are Jesus' words. You know, Matthew 26 Jesus says, whoever wants to become great amongst you must be a servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, 
but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And what he's, saying, what he's saying is when we have the opportunity to serve each other within the body, we become more like Jesus. You want to learn how to be like Jesus, then you need to learn how to serve. We're all very, very familiar with John 3.16. Most of us are familiar with that. Which, you know, God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever so believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But how familiar are we with 1 John 3.16? It says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. How can we serve each other? Paul mentions showing mercy, which really is caring for anyone in distress, anyone that has need. And doing it cheerfully. He says, do it cheerfully, not begrudgingly. He talks about leading, which is caring for others, helping them to be brought on in their lives. He talks about giving. And I know I've said this before from, from at the front, you know, sometimes God gives us too much, gives us more than we need so that we can support others through it, through our giving. I'm sure, you know, taking all of those things, that all of us on some level are called to do all of those things. We should all try and be encouraging and we should all try and be merciful and we should all teach others the gospel in whatever way that we can. But God gives us individual purposes within the body to benefit everyone else. Do you know the right thing to say to encourage someone this morning? Can you give to support a work or ministry? Can you teach others the word? I'm so grateful for um, the, the teachers that we have in, in, in Kids Zone here on a Sunday morning. You know, my, my daughter's family knows and loves Jesus because some people in this church know how to teach Jesus to small children. Maybe that's a gifting that you have as well. Paul writes in Ephesians 4 that he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work, it helps other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. I'm just going to read that again. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps other parts grow so the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Our purpose is to serve each other for the benefit of everybody else. And you know, no one's work in this church is any more important than anyone else's. My role isn't any more important than anyone else's. Because all of us work together, fit together perfectly for the benefit of everyone else. So why? Why bring us together this way? And this is my final point this morning. God uses the church for his purposes in the world. Paul doesn't just say that the church is a body. He says that the church is the body of Christ. And he's being quite literal here, really. He wants us to know, as a community of believers, we are functioning in the same way that Jesus did when he was on earth. And people uh, who know me will know that I'm a fan of comic books. I like reading comic books. And there's, there's a term in comic reading called a one-shot. And it's when you have a story that takes place outside of the normal canon the normal story arcs that are going on. It's uh, considered a one-off and it just allows artists to have a bit of fun and go a bit crazy. And sometimes I think we think of Jesus as a one-shot. 
You know, he turned up at this one point in history, he did amazing things, and, and, and now it's kind of done. But that's not the case. Jesus' entry into history was not a one-shot, it was the beginning of a whole new series. It starts with Jesus, but it continues with the church. You know, before Jesus returned to his father, he said to his apostles, Now go and do as I have done. And when he was on earth, he sent them out in his own power and authority. But when he left, he sent the Holy Spirit to help them continue the work. And he said to Peter and Matthew that I will use you to build my church. Not that I will you know, use you to replace me, but I'm going to build my church. And the, the church is my method for reaching the world. And God's plan has always been to use the church. Jesus said that people will know that we are his disciples by the love that we show for each other. Just catch that this morning. That's so important. Christ has no hands but our hands to do his work today. He has no feet but our feet to lead men in the way. He has no tongue but our tongue to tell men how he died. He has no help but our help to bring them to his side. You know, we live in a world of great loneliness, really. In many ways, we're, we're better connected than ever before. You know, I can pull my phone out of my pocket now and speak to someone face-to-face on the other side of the world. But it doesn't replace genuine, loving community relationships. And what we have here as the body of believers is special. No, scratch that. It's God-ordained. God has never withdrawn his plan for the church. And this might be a little bit controversial, but I don't think that you can claim to be a follower of Jesus and be disconnected from other believers. Because if you do so, then you're outside of God's plan for your life. Part of his purpose is that you exist together in community. You know, this is our training ground, really. This is where we get to exercise grace and truth, as Jesus did. Where we get to learn from one another, bear with one another, forgive each other, build each other up, encourage each other, serve one another, laugh with each other, cry with one another. So that we can say to the world, look, the kingdom of God is here. Just as Jesus did. Jesus said it about himself. We need to be able to say it about our church. Look, the kingdom of God is here. Because we exist together in love. We exist to build each other up, to encourage each other, to be there for one another, to pray for each other, just as we've done this morning. That is why the church is so important. I can't remember where I found this quote, but I quite like it. It says, um, Until the kingdom of God can be demonstrated in our relationships with each other, we have nothing to say with any credibility to an unbelieving and broken world. Our final thought, I guess, is that do people look at us this morning and say the kingdom of God is here? Because that's where we need to be aiming. In order to be a people of purpose, we need to join with other believers. We need to discover our giftings, use them for the benefit of each other, and in so demonstrate love to an unbelieving world.